is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. Good morning, everyone. I'm Steve. I'm one of the staff members here at Cedar Hills. Thank you for worshiping with us, and welcome to those of you worshiping with us online. Uh, We're continuing, and actually we're finishing up our series on Walk like Jesus. It's been kind of a long journey for us. Um, We've got our four chairs out here. We introduced first the four chairs, discipleship, and then walking like Jesus. It's all been kind of tied together. Um, So as we get ready to wrap this up, you can see the key verses up there. We're going to start in Matthew. I'm just going to read that passage with you to start out. It's Matthew 4.19. So you can start turning there in your Bibles or on your apps if you have them. Otherwise, it will be with us on the screen. And we're going to hear Jesus' invitation to us today. An invitation to follow Him and walk as He walked. And as we prepare to read this together, I want to offer a blessing to all of you. May the Lord be with you. Matthew 4:19. And he, Jesus, said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." May God bless the reading of his word. So, since Jesus brought it up, I'd like to talk to y'all about fishing if that's all right for a minute. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm, I love to go fishing. It's a passion of mine. When, I, when I'm out there, I'm connected to God and His creation, to the water, and uh, even to my family, especially my dad who taught me how to fish. It's all just a, a great experience for me. And um, so I want to share with you a picture from this last summer. There you go. That this, the look on my face tells the story. I was pretty pumped. I had just gotten, gotten this fish to the boat and pulled it up out of the water. We had a net. And, uh, so um, that, if you didn't know, if you're not a fisherman, you might not know, that is a northern pike. You can tell because it has that long, narrow, slender body, the, the large mouth. And it's, it's kind of a greenish color, a darker greenish color with like white uh, like oval looking kind of spots to it um, that would be a, a northern pike and uh, I can't really exactly tell you how big it is because it, with all fishing store good fishing stories it keeps growing every time I tell the story so I'm pretty sure it's at least 36 inches by now <laughs> Uh, so, um, it's probably the biggest one I've caught in the States. I've probably caught, I might have caught one a little bit larger in Canada. It was a 32 inch in Canada, but this one looks pretty, pretty similar. So, um, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, fishing. Make you, Jesus said fishers of men, so let's talk about fishing for a minute. I want to show you a picture uh, of, of a bunch of different type, types of fish. So if you don't know, you can identify them. Let's quickly go over. Here's some that are common in, uh, in this area of, of, of the world. So a pike, you can see it. It's down there kind of at the bottom. We've got a northern pike. Uh, one of the most popular game fishes up in the middle, the muskie. If you're from Wisconsin like I am, there's a lot of lore like around muskie fishing for that trophy muskie. It's called the fish of 10,000 casts because it can be so difficult and elusive to catch. Um, the muskie looks a lot like the pike and uh, they're, they're similar to catching fun, but it's a little lighter in its base color and it kind of has dark spots that 
tend to make more of a vertical pattern to them. You can kind of see that in the picture. So if you're fishing, you catch something, you're not sure if it's a pike or a muskie, that's a little bit how you can tell. Obviously, you just Google it because Google knows everything. Uh, <laughs> largemouth bass is a common one. I was just talking to some people. Uh, if you're fishing in, in farm ponds in Iowa, largemouth bass might be one of your favorite things to catch. A lot of fun. Great fight. Smallmouth bass, you might catch those in the rivers. If you go up north to Canada, you're going to catch a lot more smallies. Uh, the calico bass there, I think we'd call that a crappie. Um, and those are a lot of fun, especially in the spring when they're spawning. You can just kind of cast out. The, the first time I took Kathy uh, fishing for crappies, uh, she was like, this is so much fun. I can cast it and I can catch a fish like every single time, reeling it in uh, with, with a little jig. Um, and then at the bottom, you've got bluegills and sunfish. Those are probably some of the most common things you might catch with kids. So there's a little about, if you're going to fish for something, you've got to know what you're fishing for, what type of lures you might use for different types of fish. Um, and I'm going to just continue your fishing education by bringing out my tackle box. The first thing you need to know is that not everybody has to start with this big of a tackle box. <laughs> But it's a journey. You always have to, you never get a smaller tackle box. You're always increasing the size of it. My dad, when he passed away, he had like three tackle boxes. So I've got goals in my life. <laughs> so I want to show you a couple things from my tackle box just to explain a little bit about uh, some basic lures. Something you might use to catch pike is a spoon. Uh, it kind of has a spoon shape to it. it. When you reel it in, it wobbles and it flashes, and that's kind of the way it attracts the fish. It has a nice wobble to it and a flash. This one has a thing that makes it a little bit weedless, so I don't catch every single weed in the lake. Um, here, this would be like a, a, a crankbait or a jerkbait. Um, this one has a long bill on it. This one dives deeper because of the shape of it. Uh, this one, I think, floats back up. So when you stop, if I'm reeling it, it's diving, diving, diving. I stop, it starts to float back up. I reel it, it's diving, 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 it floats back up. There's different ways you can just reel it in steady. Sometimes you can let it pause more times than others, uh, but that's part of the, the technique of learning to fish is practicing different ways of doing that. Um, these ones are, this one has a flat bill to it. Um, they've kind of started to make these are popular. You can rock, you can knock it into like a log or a branch. It makes a bouncing noise that attracts fish. Um, all sorts of things to attract them. Just a couple more things that you might know. Those would both be good for pike, and you can also catch bass on those as well. Bass, you also, one of the most popular things is like a plastic worm that you, uh, you can rig so it's weedless, and you slowly reel it in or let it drop down through the weeds and kind of bounce it off the bottom. Um, I've got some of those, but there's so many things to cover in so little time. Uh, this one here is... Fire tiger, this pattern where it's green and orange. I've had some good luck with fire tiger. This one's a jointed Rapala, so it's got two parts, so it wiggles differently. Now, a different kind of, of lure, these are all ones that you cast and retrieve. Uh, this is a inline spinner. So spinner baits, their main attraction is they have a blade that spins really fast as you retrieve it. Um, inline spinners, it's like one straight thing. They can usually have different kind of things at the end, but an inline spinner is very popular, bass and pike and things. Interesting enough, it attracts it not by looking like a fish, but by making lots of motion in the water, and the fish feel it in their lateral lines. They feel the water being bounced by your lure and that's what attracts them to strike sometimes even just out of anger they get mad at it um, uh, this would be a spinner that's um, 
that's not an inline spinner. Uh, so you've got your spinner over here and your hook over here. And when you reel it in, it just gives it a very different look to it. Uh, you can even put a little tail on this, like a jig tail that kind of wiggles or a paddle tail that does this. And it gives it a different look in the water. So it looks like a couple fish swimming together. Um, you've got lures that go on the top of the water. These are fun, super fun for bass because they come up and they hit it and then you get to see the bass hit it and fight it. And it it's, it's cool. Um, so so much to know, uh, but this is a good beginning education. Now you are all fishermen. Go and enjoy your fishing. Oh, wait. Let's get this in here. Maybe fishing is a little more complicated than that, right? Maybe just because you heard me talk about fishing, it doesn't make you a fisherman. That's the first point I want to talk about today. When Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, it was more than just information download he was giving them. He was giving them the experience. They walked with Jesus for two to three years and they saw how he met with people, how he did miracles, how he loved the poor, how he, he, he ate with the sinners and, and, and showed them God's love, how he healed the outcast. They walked with Jesus and saw how he did life, saw how he prayed, saw how he, he did ministry. Because discipleship is so much more than information download. Just like learning to fish is so much more than information download. You want to be a good fisherman, you've got to go out and go fishing with somebody. They can show you the techniques and how to tie and cast. And I want to, to, to make this point a little more, I want to show you another picture. <laughs> These cute little fishermen, they're some of my favorite, <laughs> kept fishing on our, on our same vacation. Now, they're not fishermen because I've taught them the finer points of casting. They're not fishermen because they've learned to jig and, and they've learned to troll, all fishing terms. They're fishermen because they've gone fishing with me and, and their grandpa and they've caught the joy and the passion of fishing by being with people who love to go fishing. So, these are two points about discipleship. Discipleship is not about information transfer, but about learning to obediently walk as Jesus walked. And discipleship is, I believe, caught, not taught. We can stand up here, and we have for many weeks talked about discipleship and, and given you a lot of information about, about it, but ultimately it's going to come down to experience, coming down to obediently starting to disciple, to, to put into action the things we've talked about, and to come beside other people who are doing the same thing because discipleship, I think, is caught, not taught. So today I'm going to try to set aside information download and really focus on developing this passion because you could all have memorized what the four chairs mean, the verses which are really good things. You could have memorized the Holy Spirit power acronym we've been talking about for weeks. But all that information won't make you a disciple. Just like knowing about lures and the types of fish doesn't make you a fisherman. It's about going and faithfully being obedient and walking it out in our lives. 
So I want to keep giving you pictures and analogies that will help us, I think, give legs to this idea of being a disciple. So another thing is this. We've had this table here sometimes before with the chairs because discipleship is so relational. One of the analogies I want you to leave today with is this. Discipleship is like spiritual parenting. Discipleship is like spiritual parenting. Just like my kids caught the passion for fishing from their parent, sometimes People, the only way they're going to catch a passion for Jesus and discipleship is through sitting with other people who are passionate about it. And here's my verse that goes along with it. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17. So if you're, if you're following along, it'll be on the screen so you can look it up and mark it in your Bible, save it to go back later. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17. I think this is the heart of how, how Paul is saying he thought that discipleship was like spiritual parenting. Verse 15. For you have many for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, verse 16. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly a dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you about the ways in Jesus Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. 1 Corinthians 4, 15-17. Paul is saying to the disciples in, in, in Corinth that they have a lot of teachers, but they don't have spiritual parents. And what is Paul's solution to this problem? It's relational. It's not to create a new program. It's to send someone he considers his own spiritual son, Timothy. A a young man, a young pastor who walked with Paul. Maybe made tents with Paul. Certainly saw Paul preach the gospel and teach churches. And certainly saw saw Paul prayed and cared for others. Because he, he spent time living together with Paul. And when there's this problem of not enough spiritual fathers in Corinth, he sends Timothy, this young pastor, and he says, he will be like a spiritual father to you, teaching you the ways that I have learned. You can imitate him as he imitates me, as I imitate Jesus. There's these levels of discipleship that make it such a part of being a family. And I think it's just important for us to appreciate, and I've been drawn more into it this week the fact that Paul chose to use familial language of son and you need fathers not teachers but to use a family analogy because it's so true that when we believe in Christ Jesus we become a part of the family of God and in that family we're all children following the Godhead of Jesus Christ but but we work together where some are teachers for a time and some are fathers and mothers in Christ I want to give you another uh, example from uh, a, a, I was listening back to some uh, messages from a conference I went to on discipleship and uh, one of the speakers who really stuck out to me was Drew Warsham. He's like a church planner, pastor. He's been in the West Coast, now in Texas. Um, but he talked about what discipleship looks like in his life. So I want to just give you a snapshot of what it looks like for him so you can see. Not saying that he doesn't share all of his model, and I don't either, but just some of the things, the ways that this really works out, that it's about doing life together and being a family. 
So Drew, uh, he says about American discipleship, it's probably a little bit shallow. It's a little bit like this. He'd say, it's like, hey, you want to meet up with coffee for me and we'll do a little Bible study or I'll ask you some questions about your faith. And while there's nothing wrong with that, he's saying if, if discipleship is like spiritual parenting, what if I as a parent of young kids did that? Like, hey, Abby, uh, were you... Tuesday afternoon, we're going to go get a happy meal, and I'll teach you everything you need to know about being a godly woman and following Jesus. <laughs> that wouldn't work very well. That wouldn't work very well at all. Because being a spiritual father in my family means that after church, we're going to sit down at the table, and I'm going to ask the question, what did you learn at church today? And we'll talk about the, the lessons we learned and what we heard about the Bible and, and the people we talked to. And they'll learn from examples when, what it looks like to be a Christian father, a Christian mother, and a Christian disciple. So when he goes on to talk about a little more of his model, he prays that God would give him six to eight men and he, he prays for them, and then he invites them. And he says it's a very big ask. He's up, right up front, he's clear. It's gonna be, I'm going to ask more out of you than ever you have been asked of in church. It's going to be more rigorous than ever before. I'm, and right up, he says this. At the end, you're going to be asked to go and do this. Get a group of six guys and disciple them for a whole year. So the goal, the picture is clear. And if, if, we're, if we're studying and it's like, okay, the next thing is about, uh, next discipline is about time management and, and finding Sabbath and, and finding peace in the Lord. And we're not practicing it. We're going we're gonna to live in that lesson for a couple of weeks. We're not going to move on until we're actually doing the things we're teaching. And so he makes sure it's a big ask, but he, it comes with a big promise too. It comes with access. He literally gives them a key to his house. If they say yes, he gives them a key to their house and he says, you can come over and ask me questions. You can come over and do life with me and my family whenever, except Tuesday nights, that's date night. <laughs> There's some boundaries, but it's very open. He gives them a key to, to the house. And when they come over, this is what happens, how it's functional. Because you can't just stop everything every time that somebody comes over. They do life with him. He, he's mowing the lawn, and one of his disciples comes. He hands him the, the weed whacker, and they, they help trim the yard so it gets done fast. Then he can sit down and have lemonade with them. If they're sitting down to supper, they all sit down together, and they eat the mac and cheese. He doesn't make them a fancy meal. Or if he's going grocery shopping, they come grocery shopping too. And they help carry his kids or his, or his groceries for him. And he said this is really important because when they go grocery shopping with him, they learn what it means to be a godly man at the grocery store. How do you hold on to a budget? How do you, you manage those funds in a godly way? How do you respect other people and love other people when you're in line and you're frustrated because the line is slowed down? There's, they just see what life looks like in the real nitty-gritty parts of life. He says... He goes on to even say it's good if they're at his house when he gets frustrated or angry and he says something stupid to his wife. No one ever here has done that, I understand, but some other people do. <laughs> he said it's good for them to be there because then they can see how a godly man asks for forgiveness and repents 
Because you don't always get that in a sermon. You can read a lot of books about following Jesus, but you don't always get that. What does it look like in the nitty-gritty moments and details of life? So they walk together. They imitate Him as He imitates Christ. And that's the model that I think can be helpful. He has a lot of structure that he uses in his church. But I think the, the, the main point is that it's so relational and it's intentional. If there's two words that you could leave today with, along with all the pictures that I'm giving you. It would be that discipleship is relational and discipleship is intentional. That's what we saw from Jesus' example. That's what we see from Paul. That's what we see from Drew that it's relational and intentional. And some of us, we're really good at the relational side of things, but it gets awkward when we talk about Jesus. And we don't know how to bridge that gap to saying, I've got relationships, but how can I make them intentional about following Jesus? And some of us, we're so good about the structure. Our day is so structured out. It's great. But where do the people fit in? If somebody came to your house and needed to talk, would you have room to find room for that person because people matter, relationships matter. There, we can go to both extremes even like in the same day, right? In the morning you're one way and the afternoon. But how can we balance these two things together like Christ, like Paul? Be relational and intentional in our discipleship. I want to just give another example from Jesus' life. It's from Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. So if you follow along, you write down or, or look it up later. It's a parallel to a passage we preached on a couple weeks ago from Matthew chapter 9. So I'm going to read this. Luke 5, 27. After this, he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made a great feast for him in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was intentional. We know from what we've talked about that Jesus prayed and he had the Holy Spirit. So there was a crowd of people in this this. this uh, this gather this area where the tax collector was, like like a big street, a marketplace, um, and there would have been lots of people. But Jesus knew God was directing him to Levi, to Matthew, and so there was intentionality with the ask. He didn't ask everybody here. He went up to Levi and said, "Follow me." It was intentional. And it was relational. The, the invite was to follow me, walk with me, as we've already talked about with what the disciples did. But I want to just leave aside his example and also go to Levi's. After Levi left everything and followed Jesus, what did he do? He invited all of his friends over to the table. And he said, let's eat. Let's have a party. That's leveraging relationships but he had an intention because he invited Jesus to be there. And he said, come have a party with me. Come have a feast. But Jesus is going to be here too. And I want you to meet this guy. I want you to hear what he has to say about life and truth because he is the Messiah. The, the, he is God come to earth, Emmanuel. So we see over and over again in the Bible, discipleship is intentional and relational. Another point that as we wrap up this series I want us to think about is that I think it's clear from Scripture that discipleship is our purpose. As followers of Jesus, 
This is like the heart of the purpose we have. If we talk about big questions everybody needs answered in life, who am I and why am I here? Well, the Bible answers the question, who am I with this? If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, having new life with the resurrected Christ through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible would say that would be your identity. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you are a person created in God's image but who has fallen and corrupted by sin in need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus came. That's our identity. But if you're a Christian, what's your purpose? Why are we still here? I think the scriptures are pretty clear. And I read it at the beginning. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Or at his end of his life, when he's ascending up to heaven, before he ascends up to heaven, he gives his disciples this call in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's his call. Go and make disciples. Be people who are fishers of men. Because really... If we're saved and our end goal is we're going to be with Jesus in heaven, he could take us at any moment. Why does he leave us here in this pain? Why does he leave us here where there's cancer? Why does he leave us here where there's COVID? I think it's because maybe God left you in your neighborhood so you could intentionally be in relationship with your neighbors. You could invite them to the table where they could meet Jesus. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in your family who doesn't believe in Jesus. I think he's probably left you and I on purpose for a purpose. And the purpose is that we could reach others for him with relationship and intentionality. The last thing would be uh, being disciple is part of being a family. We've seen this in all of our models but it's, it's like being around a table because the Bible says when you believe in Jesus, you're adopted into the family of God. So we, brothers and sisters, are all part of a family, but some of us are called for a time to be parents. Some of us will be parents and will also be children. We're discipling somebody and we're being discipled. We look to somebody who's in that next phase of life who's got grandkids and ask them, hey, how do you deal with this? What's, how do I deal with this next stage in, in my career, in balancing family and work and faith? There can be so many ways that we can help each other by being a part of the family and seeing us as siblings, but also as fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and grandparents. Being a part of a family, one of the ways it's defined by Drew in his story was this. It's that you've got refrigerator privileges, <laughs> He said his disciples can walk into his house and go and open up the refrigerator and grab something. <laughs> That's refrigerator privileges. How many people in this room have refrigerator privileges at your house? <laughs> All of them, hopefully. So how can we be a family like that where we're much more open, we're much more caring, intentionally relational so that we can all follow Jesus better? In my experience, we'll share one story about my own faith and being discipled. Uh, when I was a young man, a pastor named Pastor Greg, uh, he was one of the guys who discipled me. And I, I remember distinctly sitting around a table with him and his family. Kathy and I were dating, and he made us steak. Mm. I talked about mac and cheese. This was way better. <laughs> he made us steak, and then we watched Les Miserables, because I love that story and that play. And... Um, 
But there was so much more than that. We prayed together. We studied the word together. We read books together. Sometimes in the context of a larger small group or a, or a Sunday school class, I watched him worship. I watched how he led his family. I watched how he preached with passion. And all these things were ways that I saw him as a spiritual father in my life. Teach me what it looks like to be a man of God who worships and prays and leads his family. That's the kind of picture I think we have from the Bible of discipleship. There's so many different structures it could be under small groups and Sunday classes and even just your own family as a parent. You are discipling your kids. You're discipling your grandkids. But it's so much more when we think about being intentional in all those relationships God has given us. Uh, I want to share a quote. It's from one of the people in my uh, Wednesday night's uh, prayer group. It's almost like a small group. We encourage each other. It's like a little family because although we're different ages and different genders, may have different backgrounds, we find such joy in encountering God together in His Word as we pray, but also in the Word of His body as we speak truth over each other's lives and love. Um, but this is, a, a, this is from Rabbi Sobel. He says this, while loneliness and isolation are unavoidable realities of living in a fallen world, that's so true of our world, right? The statistics say loneliness and isolation are way up. Relationships give richness and growth in our lives. God created us for connection, for relationship. Fullness comes to us when we have a solid vertical connection to God and a strong horizontal, horizontal connections to others who we pour our lives into. We have a strong vertical connection to God and strong horizontal connections. This is intentional relationship is what he's talking about and how it brings joy into a world that's filled with isolation and loneliness. That's the promise of God. That's, that's the family of God. I want to close now with some application opportunities, just ways to be thinking, maybe the next steps for you. Am I willing to ask God to give me the name of someone who can disciple me? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I know I want somebody who can give me direction, who I can look to. And then are you brave enough to ask them to be a spiritual mentor? Or maybe the second question would be this, am I willing to pray and ask God of, of the names of a few people that he's calling me to disciple? Maybe there's somebody who's younger who you could disciple. And the third would be, maybe you're here, and I think it's important to start where you're at. If these two seem too big, maybe the start where you're at is this, how can you be more intentional in one or two of your relationships that you already have? And Kent's suggestion, Pastor Kent's suggestion was, is there a question that you could put into your repertoire and repertoire? Yeah, I think I mostly said that right. And ask that would go beyond. So instead of with your, your coworker, your neighbor, it's always about, hey, how about them Hawkeyes? Could there be a life question that goes beyond that that creates an opportunity to share more? Um, that would be an easy way to make a first step. And if you're interested in, in reaching out and finding somebody who's going to walk beside you and be a disciple, if you're not sure after you've prayed, I'd love to, to talk to you about it. Reach out, send me an email, write me a note, and uh, I'd love to follow up with you on that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, though, that your word is living and active, and it's not just about information download, but it's about transforming our lives 
I pray that you would transform us as a community of believers, that you would help us to function more like a family, help us to find those relationships and those people that can speak truth and love into our lives. I pray that there would be people in this room right now who are feeling your spirit nudging them, urging them, saying, hey, there's this person and you can be more intentional in this relationship. There's this person that you can reach out to and say, hey, do you want to study the Bible and get coffee sometime? But do more, make that a start and a launching point into something deeper. God, I just pray that as your spirit moves and works in us, you would help us to not just be people who know about discipleship, like people who know about fishing, but people who actually practice and have passion and joy for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.